What's going on, Law Nation? Welcome to the Passive Income Attorney Podcast, the best place for learning about the world of alternative passive investing so that you can practice when you want to and not because you have to. Now, if you're ready for more freedom, more flexibility, and more fun, start by going to attorneybydesign.com and download the Freedom Blueprint, which will also get you access to partner with us on one of our next passive real estate investments. We'd love to get you on board and help you on your way to financial freedom. All right, let's talk about financial education, or more accurately, the lack thereof. For myself, thinking back about what I learned in grade school about financial education started and ended with how to write a check and balance a checkbook in some home ec class. Why do you think that is? Why is reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad not required reading? Instead, they make us read To Kill a Mockingbird and write a sonnet about your dog. Why don't they teach us about how to track our personal finances or the economics of buying a home? Instead, they teach us calculus, math concepts we'll never use in our lifetime. Hell, even long division. When's the last time you divided 229,000 by 721.3 by hand? You don't, you just don't do it. You never use it. Well, it's because the curriculum is born from the government. And just like everything else where the government is overly involved, it is massively flawed, slow, inefficient, and antiquated. The public education system is not built by entrepreneurs or idea-driven businessmen and women or people with any sense of financial freedom. It's built by worker bees, trading time for money day in and day out. So the only solution taught in school is to work more to earn more, work harder to earn more, save, 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 and save some more, nine to five till 65, until you just can't do it any longer. You all out there listening know this is not the answer, and that's why you're listening. But we all need to do our part in bridging the gap that our education system has created by educating our children, our friends, family, neighbors, and colleagues about the pitfalls of buying into the only system most of us have ever known, trading time for money, and work until you can't work anymore. Our guest today, Money Honey Rachel Richards, is doing more than her part by educating millennials on how to work their way out of financial despair. She quit her job as a financial advisor and retired at the age of 27 off of the passive income she built through real estate. And she's the best-selling author of Money Honey and the Passive Income Aggressive Retirement Books. All right, without further ado, let's get started. This is the Passive Income Attorney Podcast, where you'll discover the secrets and strategies of the ultra-wealthy on how they build streams of passive income to give them the freedom we all want. Attorney Seth Bradley will help you end the cycle of trading your time for money so you can make money while you sleep. Start living the good life on your own terms. Now, here's your host, Seth Bradley. Money Honey, Rachel Richards, welcome to the show. Hey, Seth. Thanks for having me. Of course, of course. Happy to have you on. It's been a long time coming. So let's just dive right in. Tell me what's your story and feel free to brag a little bit. Take it back as far <laughs> as you want to. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess to brag, I was a finance nerd at a young age, or maybe that's not a bragging thing. Maybe that's weird. But I remember being in sixth grade and being at summer camp and I found this book. It was the Motley Fool's Guide for Teens, How to Have More Money Than Your Parents Ever Dreamed Of. 
And I was like, this is so cool. So I was reading this at the pool instead of like playing with my friends at summer camp. <laughs> and that's when I first got interested in personal finance. When I was young, I learned everything I, I absolutely could because in high school, my parents kind of suffered financially. Um, they just fell on some hard times. They didn't have enough money saved. And I went to a high school in a very wealthy county. Like it was a very unrealistic bubble to grow up in. But some of the kids in my high school, when they turned 16, they got brand new BMWs. And my family, yeah, we weren't, we weren't not operating that way. I mean, we weren't even going on family trips, let alone even going out to eat at restaurants. So at a young age, I felt like I didn't fit in. And that's not the way you want to feel in middle school and in high school. So right. that's another reason I became so motivated to learn about financial independence and real estate investing. And that's really where my journey began. Wow. That's awesome. Cause we talk about this all the time on, on this show about the lack of financial education that you get growing up. You just don't get it from your traditional education. You have to go out and, and get it from somewhere else. You got it from that Motley Fool book, which is awesome. I mean, a lot of people it's, it's rich dad, poor dad, they read that and they're like, Oh, the light bulb goes off. Um, so that's really interesting to hear that you're exposed to that at that young age. Yeah, absolutely. And I did read Rich Dad, Poor Dad in high school too. And that was a big light bulb moment for me. But you're absolutely right. We are in a financial education crisis. And at no point in our lives are we taught how to manage our money. And then we're left as young adults to trying to figure it out all on, our, all on our own. So it's like, no wonder I see so many of my friends and my readers suffer from with guilt and shame and embarrassment when it comes to their money, which sucks. I mean, that makes me so mad. That's why I do what I do because it's not anyone's fault that they weren't given the resources they need to succeed. So that's why I'm here. <laughs> yeah, that's incredible. I mean, our education system is really focused on learning or teaching you how to do a job, right? Just to trade your time for dollars instead of teaching you how to make money, how to actually make money work for you. So you don't have to just trade your time for dollars. And that's what's the, the big component that's missing. So if you're exposed to, to those books, like we mentioned before, early, that can kind of get the wheels turning early in your, in your life so that you can succeed earlier. Because, we, you know, you're, you're really young. It took me a lot longer to figure this game out. Um, I went to med school and law school and all this stuff and then eventually walked away from all of it to become an entrepreneur. But, you know, like I said, it took me a lot longer to, to find that pathway. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So tell me, I know you were a financial advisor at one point and, you know, on this show, we, we tend to throw a little bit of shade their way. <laughs> That's they, fine. They, throw shade. Yeah, yeah. Because they, you know, they collect their fees and they get paid no matter what. And we were like, we're all about trying to align interests. So when I get someone to, to, when I show someone an investment opportunity, you know, I don't get paid and the sponsors don't get paid unless the investors get paid first. And it's, there's an alignment of interest compared to, let's say a financial advisor where they're just trying to put, get you to invest a lump sum of money so they can collect their fee and the mutual fund manager, manager can collect their fee and the hedge fund managers can collect their fees. And it's just ridiculous. So tell me about that experience and maybe what you thought about it and what you learned from it. Yeah, absolutely. Being a financial advisor was very eye-opening. I saw how so many advisors and insurance agents are misincentivized and even people with the best intentions can be incentivized the wrong way and might not always do what's in the best interest of their client, even if they have the best intentions. So I didn't love that. I saw, you know, I saw shady things happening. I saw people pushing products on clients that weren't appropriate for them, which 
sucks. Um, so one thing I'll say about a financial advisor, they're not all bad, of course. I mean, a lot of people are really, really good and they can help you, but two things that are important to look for is somebody that's fee only. So don't, don't hire a commission-based financial advisor because they get paid when they sell products to you. And don't even hire a fee-based because they still get paid when they sell products to you. You have to hire a fee-only advisor. And even then the incentives aren't perfectly lined up, but it's better. So fee-only advisor. The other thing I'll say is make sure you look for somebody who's a fiduciary because then they're legally obligated to act in your best interest. So if you find somebody like that, that's your best chance of really knowing that they're going to be looking out for you and helping you. That yeah. said though, I encourage everybody, young people, whoever, to try to manage their finances and invest on their own. I used to feel very intimidated by investing in the stock market. It felt daunting, scary to me. Then once I started learning everything, I realized it just came down to a few simple rules. And I think we overcomplicate it in our head, even though when it comes down to investing in the stock market, it's a lot easier than we make it out to be. You know, it comes down to investing in low or no fee funds over the long term. That's as simple as it gets. And when you can approach it that way and kind of be your own fiduciary, you're going to save a lot of money in fees. And I think it's well worth it. Yeah, there are a couple of things in there. Definitely want to emphasize that, you know, a lot of times the financial advisors are not bad people, right? They, they usually come in with good intentions. Again, it comes back to the misalignment of interests and they're incentivized in the wrong way. So, you know, they're not getting paid for your best interest. They're getting paid for theirs and people always are gonna tend to go come back to looking out for themselves. Um, and the second thing is, um, you know, with respect to investments, I think a lot of people trust their financial advisor and turn to them because they don't know how to do it themselves. And that's awesome that you said that, that you should get educated, you know, learn the tips, the tricks and educate yourself so you can do it yourself because a lot of people just don't know where else to turn. So that's, that's kind of like their default. And one thing I'll add to that, Seth, is that if it comes down to not investing at all versus investing with a financial advisor, I'll almost always say, just invest with a financial advisor. Like it's so important to get invested at a young age regardless. So that's what I would say to do, but even so still empower and learn and educate yourself. So you can make sure they are acting in your best interest and you can ask them smart questions and look out for yourself. Yeah, I agree with that. As much as I bash financial advisors, I do agree with that. If you're not going to, if you're going to choose to not invest at all as the alternative, then you should find a financial advisor and, and start saving and investing and, and start making your money uh, work for you. Um, at what point did you have maybe an aha moment while you're a financial advisor and start looking at real estate or other types of investments? I would say the aha moment, like the initial one with real estate investing was when I purchased and read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. But the thing was, I read that when I was 18 and I didn't start investing when I was, until I was 24. So there was a couple, a couple of things that happened, I think really made me take action finally. One, with, one of them was unfortunately a, a bad work experience. I was working for this woman who was just really emotionally abusive, really cruel, and just made her employees feel so belittled, so stupid. She made people cry all the time. One of the times she made me cry, I remember going to the bathroom and looking at myself and thinking, I am never going to let an employer treat me this way again. I'm never going to feel trapped in a job again because of money or because of finances. And I just remember that being a specific moment where it was like, I've been learning about real estate investing. I've been talking about it and I'm sick of hearing myself talk about it. I'm sick of it. So I'm going to start doing something and I'm going to take action and I'm going to start looking for properties to invest in. 
Yeah, that's the key, right? Take action. I mean, you've got to get educated and network and all that kind of stuff. But at some point, you've got to take action. You've got to pull the trigger. A lot of people get stuck with that. And sometimes it takes, you know, a, a work event or a life event or something like that to push you over the edge. But hopefully a lot of our listeners and a lot of your clients are, you know, listen to us and they're like, okay, I don't necessarily need something bad to happen before I, I take that action. Um, what, what did that first uh, real estate investment look like for you? So the first duplex that my husband and I bought was in 2017. I was 24 at the time and it was a duplex in Louisville, Kentucky. And I found it because it was an expired canceled listing on the MLS. So it was, it wasn't really like an on-market deal. Um, but I was looking through expired and canceled listings. I did have my real estate license at the time, which was a huge help for me. And I negotiated back and forth with this listing agent for months. And, you know, I, I first reached out and I said, Hey, I'm really interested in this duplex. What's going on. Is this going to come back on the market? And, you know, she kind of went back and forth. She was like, just wait a little bit longer. I'll let you know. A lot of people are afraid to follow up regularly because they don't want to be bother people or annoy people. But I just saw it as, Hey, I'm, I'm an interested buyer. And she would appreciate knowing that there's an interested buyer out there. And I just want to stay top of mind. So I'd send her an email once a month or so, which was great because when it came time for the seller to relist the property, she reached out to me a few days before and she said, Hey, Rachel, this is finally about to go on the market. Do you want to make an offer? And I was like, yes, I would love to make an offer. Thank you so much. I mean, that was a huge advantage that I got to make an offer before they relisted it. So that's how it worked out. But it was literally six months of me doing that. And, and one thing I'll add to that is we had made many offers before this duplex that didn't work out. We even had an accepted contract on a property that didn't work out before this duplex. It took us nine months to find this duplex. And I think it's so important for investors to have the right expectations, especially in this market, because it's not going to be easy and it's not going to be quick. And what you don't want to do is get so discouraged that you decide, well, maybe I should settle for something. That's how investors buy something that's a bad deal. Don't settle, be patient, and the right deal will come along. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you got, you've got to follow up and it takes work. I mean, in the commercial world, I mean, we underwrite maybe a hundred properties before we'll offer on 10. This is just general. And then we'll actually get under contract for one. And these are you know large properties. So underwriting them is not that easy to do. Um, it just takes patience and to find a good deal. You, you've got to, you've just got to be patient and, and not, you know, not so we talked about taking action, but you know, you've got to be prudent with your investments as well. Um, Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, exactly. I mean, there's a difference between taking action and then doing something out of desperation. Like taking yeah. action is going and looking at the 100 properties. You might have to go look at hundred properties to, like you said, make an offer on 10 and then purchase one. But yeah, there's a difference between taking action and then just doing something out of desperation. Yeah, for sure. And there's a ton of people out there right now that, you know, maybe they didn't, they skipped the education piece. They don't know what they're doing yet. And they are just inflating the market like crazy because they're willing to overpay and, and just over or overinflate the market. We're not able to uh, get a good deal nowadays, but um, keep looking and, and you'll find it. Um, what does your real estate investing business look like nowadays? So by the time I was 26, we had built our portfolio to six buildings and 38 doors. So it was a pretty large portfolio. It was bringing in over $10,000 per month in passive profit. And that was our goal. 
So a lot of people are surprised that we're not acquiring properties anymore. And so people ask me, well, why aren't you building up this massive portfolio? You could have 250 units by now. And I always tell them real estate investing for us was a means to an end. It's not something I'm so passionate about that I wanted to build this huge empire. I wanted to get to a point from an income perspective that I could quit my job and be financially independent and not have to work if I didn't want to anymore. So that's what it was for us. It was getting to that $10,000 per month mark and we stopped acquiring property in 2018. And now actually we are looking at our goals. We're reevaluating. We still spend a lot of time managing our rental portfolio, even when we do have people in place to help us. And now that we have more money than time, it used to be the opposite. But now that we have more money than time, it's we would rather sell some of our properties and it reinvest that money into something even more passive. So we've actually sold a couple of our buildings and we're getting into real estate syndications, which I know you like to do too. But that's a lot more in alignment with our values now because it's something I can invest in. I can do the due diligence up front and then I literally don't have to lift a finger. I just get money quarterly into my checking account. So it's it's really the best and that's what I'm hoping to do more of. Yeah, that's awesome that you're making that transition. Are, do you plan on investing on the active side of the syndications at some point or sticking to the passive side? You know, I haven't thought too much about it. I'll say never say never, right? But yeah. so far, I've just <laughs> been the LP in deals. Um, I'm working so hard on my business right now with Money Honey and my books and my programs, and I want to grow that. But at some point, if I have time, I could see myself being GP. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'd like to go back to that. I mean, maybe do a little bit more of a comparison between, you know, investing passively in one of these syndications compared to um, owning a single family or a duplex uh, directly. Absolutely. There's definitely a sliding scale when it comes to how passive something is with real estate investing. Um, and it's a time versus money trade-off. If you want something to be more passive, you typically have to have more money and then you can spend less time. So like, even if you're looking at long-term versus short-term rentals, long-term rental is going to be easier to manage. You're going to make a little bit less money, a short-term rental, like an Airbnb situation. I don't have them, but from what I've seen, you can make a lot more money, but it is a lot more work. So that's always the trade-off that you have to consider. Um, and overall, when you're owning rental property, you do need to have a property manager in place if you want to be able to call it a passive income stream. Because a lot of people are like, wait, owning rental property isn't passive. And that's very true if you're self-managing. Chances are none of us want to quit our jobs to become full-time landlords, right? So it's essential to be able to have a property manager in place at some point or another. That said, even with a manager, there's always going to be some level of managing the manager. So there is always going to be ongoing work when you directly own rental properties. Versus if you start investing in syndications as an investor or limited partner, there's upwork front, there's, there's work up front that you have to do in terms of due diligence and researching and looking at the deal and interviewing the syndicator. But once you've wired the money and you've agreed to the deal, you don't have to do anything for the rest of the time. You literally getting mailed a distribution check once a quarter. It's the most passive thing I've done so far. So I'm loving that world right now. Yeah, that's the beautiful part about it is it really is truly passive. I mean, once you've, you've vetted the sponsor, the market, the deal, you're done. I mean, the deal is done um, and, and you're just going to start getting getting checks in the mail or ACH deposits in your account. And it's, it's awesome. And we call that buying back your time because when you get those quarterly checks, they don't just represent money. They represent time that you don't have to 
uh, trade for dollars anymore. And eventually you'll be able to get your way out of a job if that's what you want to do or scale back in your career, whatever it is that your, your end goal is. Um, you know, many of our, the folks in our audience are those highly paid professional professionals and, you know, you're a coach and a mentor. I mean, what do you, how do you walk one of your students through, you know, figuring out their best investment strategy when they come to you seeking financial freedom? Yeah, it really depends on their goals and their risk tolerance and their age. I mean, it's a lot of different things. One thing that bothers me about the financial advising industry and a lot of the other finance gurus is that they give like blanket advice, like save 15% of your paycheck or save 20% of your income. And I don't like that because there's never a one size fits all for a single woman who's making 300 grand. Yeah, maybe saving 20% of her income will serve her well in retirement. But for a family of four living off of 60 grand, saving that amount is probably not going to be enough. So it, it's very specific to everyone's goals. And that's why I like to work with people on a one-on-one -on -one basis. Um, but that's really what I like to find out first is where, what's your end goal? Do you want to work a career? Do you want to have flexibility? What exact, do you want passive income? Do you want to save up money and build up a nest egg? I mean, I try to just educate as much as possible and then let them decide from there. Gotcha. Gotcha. What are, what are some of the biggest pain points that you hear from them? Um, one of the biggest, so I work with a lot of female millennials, a lot of Gen Zers, a lot of young professionals, and a lot of them struggle with a couple things when it comes to debt specifically, credit card debt and student loan debt. And those things are such a burden on our generation. It's really hard for people to get ahead when they have four figure debt payments every month. So with credit card debt, you know, one thing I, this is really for all debt, but one thing I tell them is that there's several ways to pay off debt. There's the debt snowball method, which was made popular by Dave Ramsey, where you pay the smallest balance first. And then there's the avalanche method where you pay the highest interest rate debt first. And that's actually what I talk about in my book, Money Honey, because if you approach your debt payoff that way, where, where you're paying the highest interest rate first, you're going to be able to pay off your debt with the fewest amount of dollars possible. It's more efficient. It's more like it mathematically works out better. But what I ultimately tell people is that the secret is that the best debt strategy is the one that works best for you. Because if you're going to be more motivated by the snowball method, that's absolutely the one that you should pursue. So there's no right or wrong answer, but I think just having any type of strategy is going to be very, very helpful. Yeah. So presenting them with the different ways to go about it and then letting them kind of choose what's, what's best for them, walking them through that step-by-step. Step. Yeah. And to add to that, um, and I love Dave Ramsey's snowball method, but I disagree with him on, on other things because he says all debt is bad. And yeah. <laughs> I, I just, I disagree with that. If that was the case. And I, if I only purchased things with cash, I'd still be working a nine to five job. Like I wouldn't have built a real estate portfolio without being able to take on mortgages and loans and everything. So the way I look at debt is debt that is used to purchase a cash flowing asset to me is smart debt. That is debt I would take on in a heartbeat. And so that's debt that is used to purchase a cash flowing asset. That is typically something like a rental property or you know, anything that is generating income for you. And I don't know many multimillionaires that didn't become wealthy by using debt to their advantage. So that's just something I like to put out there is that I don't think all debt is bad. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. I don't even believe that Dave Ramsey believes that himself. What, what do you think? I, 
I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if we'll ever know for sure. <laughs> yeah. I feel like he's, you know, he's got to draw a line in the sand and that's his line, but I don't know. I, there's no way he just practices that himself. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the thing is Dave Ramsey didn't become wealthy by investing in the stock market and buying mutual funds. He became wealthy right. by selling books and courses and programs. And there's nothing wrong with that. I just wish he, he would teach those things as well. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, I mean, you've, you've got to draw that line in the sand. That's his line. And you know, yeah. he's, he's, he's making money doing it, but certainly yeah. not the uh, strategy that you or I would, would uh, subscribe to. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. So, so tell me a little bit more about your current business. What, what does that look like? You're talking about growing it and really focus on that. What, what does that look like? What are some of the programs you offer? Yeah. Thanks for asking. So in 2017, I decided to write my first book, Money Honey. And I wrote it because all my friends and family were coming to me for financial advice because I used to be a financial advisor, which was great. That's what I love to help people with. And at the same time, I began to wonder, well, why aren't they learning on their own or reading books or whatever? And then I realized, oh yeah, that's because personal finance is boring and complicated and intimidating to most people, right? I'm not everyone's like a little finance nerd like, like we are. <laughs> um, so I thought to myself, well, how can I make this topic sassy and fun and simple? And that's where the idea for Money Honey came from. So I self-published it in 2017. To my surprise, it just took off. It resonated with young women. Um, now it has over a thousand reviews on Amazon. And that was kind of the start of my business. I saw that there was a need to educate young people on finance in a way that was just easy to understand. It's just as simple as that. So I now have two books. I have several online courses. I have several programs where I'm teaching about money management, how to start investing in real estate, how to generate passive income. And a lot of people look at me and they're like, well, Rachel, you say you're retired, but you're not retired. You're still working. And I'm like, well, yeah, I love to work. This is what I love to do. The difference is that I now work when, where, and if I want. I don't have to work anymore, but this is what truly brings me fulfillment. And it's what I'm very passionate about. And so that's why I'm working so hard to grow this business. Yeah. It's a little bit different when you have flexibility in your schedule and you're not working for someone else, you're working for yourself. So, I mean, I usually work 12 hour days, but it's all for myself, you know, like it's plugging back into my business rather than somebody else's. And that makes a, a huge difference in your outlook in life and, you know, how you feel fulfilled you know, working hard isn't a, a bad thing. It's, it's working hard and not feel like you're, you're getting anywhere by doing it. Exactly. And it, you're right. It's a huge difference. It's so much more fun. And the flexibility I have to set my own hours. I mean, we were talking before the podcast, but my husband and I have been traveling all over the country for the last four months. We w probably wouldn't be able to do that with a traditional job. So I just, I really love the freedom that we have now. Yeah. Freedom, flexibility, and fun. That's, that's where it's all at. Love it. Um, yeah. Before we jump into the freedom four, what's one last golden nugget for our listeners? Ooh, one last golden nugget is um, just, you know, there's a lot of limiting beliefs that people have. And you might be about to ask me this, this might be redundant, but um, <laughs> so I might be skipping ahead. But one of the limiting beliefs I had in terms of real estate investing is that I thought I didn't have enough money. I don't have enough experience. I don't have enough knowledge. And so I held myself back for years what I had to accept in order to start investing in real estate is that I was going to make mistakes. Like I'm a perfectionist. I'm a control freak. I'm, I'm very much that kind of person. So it was scary for me to think about, well, what if I invest in something and I lose money or I waste my time? Once I accepted the fact, you know what, I'm going to make mistakes. And no matter how prepared I am 
or how much money I save up, I am going to make mis mistakes, but I still have to get started. There's this acronym for fail that I, somebody told me, and it's called, it's first attempt in learning. So fail stands for first attempt in learning. Anyways, once I was able to accept the fact that I was going to make mistakes, I was able to take that first step and actually invest. So I just encourage you to take action. Um, don't be a control freak like I am. Just accept you're going to make mistakes and that's a part of it. And even the most experienced investors are still making mistakes. That's just a part of the learning process. Yeah, love that. Love that. All right, let's jump into the Freedom Four. It's time for the Freedom Four. What's the best thing you do to keep your mind and body healthy? There are so many things I could say for this, um, but when and I've I've talked openly before about I used I had suffered from anxiety and depression before, and when I'm feeling like I'm headed in that direction, I can recognize it quickly now because being an entrepreneur, you can get very burnt out. So mm -hmm. there, I, I read the Miracle Morning. I recommend the Miracle Morning. That book is amazing, and some of the practices include meditation. Um, a practice of gratitude, like writing down things that you're grateful for each day. Both of those have been so important. And then exercise for me is crucial. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. That's a great book. If you haven't read it, you have to, it's, it's a game changer. Um, what's one life hack you do or you use to be your most productive self? Oh, this is good. There were a couple things I started doing about a year and a half ago. Um, the bullet journal method for me has been awesome because sometimes I feel like I have to-do lists everywhere and calendars everywhere. And I really want to be a highly organized person. The bullet journal, I think it's a lot of like, it gets a bad rap because you see these people who spend tons of time making these beautiful journal pages, but like the actual method itself is very, I love it. Like it just makes a lot of sense for me. So that's one thing. The other thing is the 12 week year, which is a book that outlines how to have your most productive year ever. And it breaks it up into quarters and it just has a really great strategy for how to achieve your goals and make sure you're staying, you're consistently making progress. So those two things have increased my productivity, probably 10, 10 X, I would say. Really cool. Really cool. Yeah. What's one actionable step our listeners can do right now to start creating more freedom for themselves. I'll, I'll go with something super basic because not everyone does it. And it's tracking your expenses. Like if somebody asks me, I'm just starting out with finances, what do I do first? That's what I always say. Like even before making a budget, I recommend that you track your expenses for 30 days because we think we know where our money is going, but we actually don't. And Dave Ramsey, and sometimes I pick on him, but he, he has a lot of good things. He once said that a budget is simply telling your money where to go instead of wondering where it went. And so tracking your expenses for 30 days can be very eye-opening. You will be shocked once you see where your money's actually going, and then you'll be motivated to put a budget into place from there. Yeah, I agree with that a thousand percent. I remember when I first started doing that and you look and you're like, oh my gosh, I spend like thousands of dollars on eating out every month. Yes, like, whoa, what exactly. Is going on? <laughs> exactly. Just, it was like embarrassing. Yeah. The first time I did it, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm supposed to be a finance expert. I'm spending like a thousand dollars just on groceries for two yeah. people. <laughs> it's insane. I remember going to my wife and be like, oh my God, how do we spend this much in groceries? <laughs> yeah. Month? What are we I doing? Like, it's my biggest struggle still. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Last but not least, how has passive income made your life better? It has provided me with so much flexibility and fulfillment that I wouldn't otherwise have. And just having the opportunity to literally do anything I want. Um, and especially the fact that I've been able to build a business that's relatively passive and have the opportunity to impact literally thousands of people. Like nothing 
is better than getting an email from a reader saying your book has changed my life. Like, thank you so much for doing what you do. And I would not have this without having those passive income streams in place. Yeah, that, that's perfect. Rachel, thank you again for coming on, especially while you're on the road traveling. Uh, where can our listeners find out more about you? Thank you so much, Seth. So both of my books, Money, Honey, and Passive Income, Aggressive Retirement are available on Amazon in ebook, audio, and paperback. And then what I'd love to do for your listeners is if anyone wants to download my Passive Income Starter Kit, I will give that for free. So they can go to moneyhoneyrachel.com slash bonus to download that. Awesome. We'll get that in the show notes. Rachel, thanks again. Thank you. Money, honey, Rachel Richards. Can you imagine retiring at the age of 27? Wow. So impressive. Having the foresight, intelligence, motivation to accomplish such a feat at such a young age. All right. If you're ready for a change, you're ready to take action, partner with us on one of our next passive real estate deals. Go to PassiveIncomeAttorney.com and join our Esquire Passive Investor Club. All right, kids. Enjoy the journey. Thank you for listening to the Passive Income Attorney Podcast with Seth Bradley. Do you want more ideas on how to generate multiple streams of passive income? Then jump over to PassiveIncomeAttorney.com for show notes and resources. Then apply for the private Facebook community by searching for the Passive Income Attorney on Facebook. And we'll see you on the next episode.